Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. He he was he was the first one who came up with the even the concept of a Shia LaBeouf. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined as always by the voice of cinema sins jeremy scott yeah baby and from music video sins barrett share you're the man now dog dog the man yeah yeah you know classic finding forrester quote from uh from barrett there it's Um, crazy how many he's always quoting it Connery has a lot of quotes from <laughs> shitty movies, that, but the quotes, like, I'm the last one from that dragon movie. <laughs> yep. And, like, I think it's just that his voice is so iconic, it's fun to say things. Your best. Lewis is always wise about best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> and, re- and we'll always remember, I come at you now at the turn of the tide. Oh, that's probably a sore spot for Sean <laughs> oh man um so today we're finally getting to the discord questions question question i got something to say i want the truth i am listening discord. We, have, right. we have we have ignored them not because we hate you discord but because we love you no yeah. because because, uh, you know, every time the questions were coming in, they would come into Facebook and I would pile them up and shit, send them to Barrett. And and uh, and then, you know, we didn't I don't think we were aware of a question section for a while. And then I w- was aware, but forgot about it. And it's all on me. It's all on me. No, I forgot all about no. it. Forgot all about it. And I even brought it up on this podcast when we did a and a and said, we're going to have to do that. And then we did another Q&A and didn't do Discord. We are sons of bitches. We so, get a lot of questions, folks. And, and it's awesome. But it, uh, this will forever be a source now for us to to take a look at. And these are some good questions that have uh, have rolled in. And we will attempt to answer them. I love the Discord community, by the way. Now, I will admit <laughs> that I am not... Uh, the 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 most uh, app savvy f- person on our team. Um, I, from what I've 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 read with Discord and experiences with Discord, it's fantastic. Especially the community that we have, very much uh, like the community that we have on our subreddit. Uh, very much like the community that we have in other of our social medias, our Twitter buds. Uh, we we are we really do have a community, uh, and uh, Discord is one that I finally jumped in wholeheartedly uh and and have really come to love mm-hmm, and appreciate mm-hmm, yep. and uh, lovely. so mm-hmm. yeah i'm excited all right so uh 
what did we find in the Patreon question section uh, that we're going to answer today, Barrett? It's like mining for gold. And here's the first nugget. Hmm. Man, this is such a cool, interesting question. What does the future of science fiction look like? We already have supercomputers slash AI, robots that walk uh, through open doors and use swords, uh, advanced medicine slash artificial limbs, billionaires going to space, uh, we'll be mining comets, future will be alien franchisers, Star Trek pandemics, global warming, Earth dying. Will we look at today's sci-fi like we look at 1920s sci-fi and the fact that, that it's outdated? Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's a fascinating thing to discuss. I don't think there's any right answer, obviously, because we're predicting the future. Um, but I think we're always, I think science fiction writers will always be daydreaming about the things we can't do. Sure. So even though we have things that we can do, um, and all of those things he listed are some mixture of amazing and terrifying, specifically the, the robots, dogs that, bark and shoot bees at you Mm, um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh but you know whatever our limitations are as a species science fiction will always live outside of that um and probably influence where we go with our actual technological drive my my long-term answer is that i think i think everything is a pendulum so i think centuries from now once we have conquered all possible tech uh the the drive for humanity will be to go in the other direction, to go Swiss Family Robinson and get back to nature and uh, not let tech control us so much. If we can avoid a robot-human war in the middle of all that, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, I think there's something... I don't know. I love science fiction. I write short stories about it, and I'm always... Basically, I'm always looking at the world beyond our current reach. Uh, mm-hmm. and abilities no, but you think that could come back around to the other side like when isaac asimov classically wrote uh a will smith character that's really into mustangs and converse mm-hmm. in his mm-hmm. irobot yep. book or, right. or story right i don't do not remember that story super well he said something he 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 was the originator of the fresh prince in irobot yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was one of the rules of robot technology, I believe. Was, yeah, was, no, for sure. I mean, yeah. he has his code word was West Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and then, where he was born and raised. Yeah, yeah, right. And then uh, Shia LaBeouf came in. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He he was he was the first one who came up with the even the concept of a Shia LaBeouf. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what what kind of LaBeouf you think? Ah, it's a Shia. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I think it's hilarious that uh, that sci-fi writers a lot of times put in anachronistic characters or, or characters that are obsessed with anachronisms, like Will Smith not being, I say Will Smith, but the main character in iRobot being obsessed with like, you know, old school stuff and not into well, this new fangled technology. Well, even uh, in Oblivion, which I just watched recently, Tom Cruise has that little cottage on the lake mm-hmm. in the mountains with the record player yeah. and the books. And he likes, that's his getaway. Um, but he lives in the most high tech. I mean, there's a lot more going on in this movie than just this, but he lives in the most high tech thing possible, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what he dreams about is getting away from that. And I think, 
I think eventually as a, as a species, that will be what we do. It'll be probably uh, centuries. And I just hope it doesn't come because of some Armageddon, like, you know, like global warming related or meteor hitting the earth or, you know, I, it would be awesome if we could just get there with our own brains and be like, yeah, maybe we don't need all this. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would uh, I would be arrogant to say that people would not look back on sci-fi being written today, would find wouldn't find it primitive a hundred years from now. The one thing this question is a little loaded because the science fiction of the 1920s and even before, if you're going into the Jules Verne era and all that, they've come up with some things that were pretty fantastical back in their era that, that have come to fruition and everything. Uh, I I don't know if, I I think maybe we're, we more look back at it and laugh because it's, it's, um, I don't know, out of date technology. Uh, You know, it's not nearly as advanced, but the concept is still there. And I feel like most most of the concepts that we have out there have been written about. It's mm. just a matter of how we present that technology in science fiction and everything. There are a couple of, I mean, there are a couple of problems. Uh, you know, there's more than a couple of problems. But, you know, there are several problems that, you know, science has yet to figure out that, that we think we, you know, you know, if, if we had certain technology, we could do it in theory and, you know, we, we haven't figured those things out yet. So that, you know, maybe in 2080, whatever we're, we're, you know, we're 20, yeah, 2080, we're flying around the speed of light in these giant ships somehow, some way, because we discovered something, you know, insane, but yeah, I, I, I'm sitting there. I look back at like something like the Terminator, which was 37 years ago. And we look back at it as kind of funny because the visual effects are funny, mm. but that, mm. and we have robots that can, you know, that can obviously murder people. I mean, we, we know this, we, we've seen this, we, we know. um, and, and the, the, they, they, but it, I, it's, that technology still doesn't seem entirely out of date, right? Like that seems right. still futuristic, even though that's currently happening. We're, we're making the robots that will eventually kill us. But, <laughs> um, but uh, it doesn't, it's not something you should look back at 30. Now that's only 37 years though. Only quote unquote mm-hmm. 37 years. And of course, you know, killer robots had been before that too, but they were even more antiquated then. you West world, but robots and stuff like that uh even older than that and then uh what was it the the old twilight zone where uh uh was it what's his name that's in that like one of the first ones who kept calling it a robot a robot <laughs> <laughs> um um uh, uh jack warden is in that twilight zone episode hmm. uh so yeah i think a lot of things that we have we currently can imagine like all the stuff that can be imagined as far as like what what we could do with space travel and medical advances and everything that's probably been thought of, but we don't know what it's going to look like. So it will look antiquated to somebody a hundred years from now. So I don't, that that's one of the questions that I have in there. Like, is it coming up with something brand new? That's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Something absolutely no one has ever thought of before, but 
thinking of it in a way that actually makes sense, that's the part where in 2080, you're going to be going, <laughs> the Terminator, they thought robots were going to kill like that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of just, you know, frying them from 20 miles away. <laughs> right, exactly. It's a fine line for writers and I guess uh, filmmakers too, to to make it a believable date, right? Of mm-hmm. course, 2001 is, is, is an interesting example because... At the time that Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke wrote it, 2001 seems like forever, and mm-hmm. here we are in 2020, you know, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same goes for, you know, Back to the Future Part 2 and all that stuff. You know, all these things where, and, and Jeremy, you've written a, a bunch of sci-fi stuff. Like, do you need to set it way into the future to where there's no way that people will look back at this and uh and say like are you fucking kidding me 2015 you know we're not in flying cars or hover well actually we do have hoverboards but like you know that kind of thing uh 3d sharks coming out of the uh the the marquee and all that stuff or can you keep it keep the principles muted like there are in her right where it's set in the near future and you can see those little angles of near future stuff but it's not overtly flying cars and and crazy shit like that or does it even matter for you? well the best example i think uh is children of men because that's set i think in like 2037 or something mm. but there's nothing even though there's visual stuff in the world building of that movie um there's nothing that when we get to 2045 i don't think we're going to look at children of men and go oh man they yeah. thought they thought buildings would have newspapers on their windows. <laughs> what dumbasses! <laughs> um, so, and her is another good example. But you know, um, you get something like Demolition Man. Um, <laughs> I mean, again, I think I think if you love a movie, um, you know, eventually t- two thousand one becomes just the title of the movie to me, yeah, yeah. and not me remembering that they were predicting tech for that year from the 70s mm-hmm. or 60s or whenever um like back to the future too i i i don't i'm not pulled out of that movie so to speak because the tech predictions were wrong um it's just a vision of the future and also yeah. you can pull up needles on a big old fucking wall video chat if you want to but yeah Mm -hmm. some of it it got right i still would like to hydrate a pizza in like 20 seconds right yeah that's a fifth element thing too by the way where she puts the the thing in the microwave the turkey dinner or whatever the fuck yeah for for a half a second all of a sudden she's like oh well and let's not let's not forget that minority report nearly everything that's in that movie is uh except for the cars driving alongside buildings and shit like that but self-driving cars we're we're almost there we're Um, almost there uh the uh being able to read your retinas and be like uh this was great that i i I told y'all about this it was last night as of this recording went into a parking lot that I had been in before and my phone texted me from the parking company that said, welcome back. I I had, I had not even gotten out of my car yet to do anything. And it was just like, Oh, you were here before. Let's go ahead and start charging your credit card. This is awesome. Right. This is amazing. Right. We are. I mean, we, uh, there are billboards that can uh, RFID certain cars approaching and change what the advertisement is based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Minority Report got a lot of things right, and that's as much 
Was that Philip K. Dick? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it is Spielberg, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't read the story, uh, so I don't know. I'm how assuming much. most of that is Philip K. Dick. Yeah, coming up with a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I would think so. Um, yeah, what a fun topic! I could probably do a whole episode just on just discussing the various things about science fiction and movies that got it right and movies that got it wrong. And I mean, um, we obviously will. I mean, we obviously will in 2080. You know, none of us will be here in 2080 unless mm-hmm. technology gets to a certain point where they can figure out how to uh, cure 17 stab wounds. But um, <laughs> the <laughs> that's how you're gonna go out. <laughs> That's how we're going to go out. <laughs> nice little Simpsons nugget there. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Um, uh, because, I mean, think about think about just 15 years ago, right? Where the idea of having an iPhone yep. was, mm-hmm. was, was ridiculous. Uh, yep. I, I guess it was around 15 years ago that the first iPhone came out. Um, and then all the advances that have come on with all the different companies that have come out. I mean, you, ha- you do can do almost anything with your phone at this point. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, just 15 and then, then take even take 15 years off of 2006. I mean, people in 1991 are looking at 2006 going, holy fuck, look at all the <laughs> shit, all the shit you can do. So exactly. even 15 years, we're going to be looking back at 2021 and going, wow, that was a, oh, that was a horrible time in history for, Man, for in us. 19, were- 1994, I was home on break from college and I made a video for my girlfriend and I I did the whole two VCRs editing system, right? You've done this nice. mm-hmm. oh, yeah. where like yep. one VCR is recording the other VCR and that's how you, and that, if you'd have shown me Adobe Premiere back then, I'd have punched you in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I called you a witch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although Adobe Premiere did exist back then. Uh, oh, I'm sure could, it did. You but... just couldn't afford it. <laughs> no. Yeah, the, yeah. That's the thing. Uh, you know, um, uh, I think even digital video cameras existed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what was that? What do they call them? Camcorders is when they started calling yeah. them camcorders instead of yeah. like like those big shoulder mount fucking things you used to have to use, mm-hmm. which is what mm-hmm. I was using. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and look at, look at movies too. I mean, that's the other thing. A lot of the things that you, I mean, this is an old, an old discussion too, but a lot of the things that you think are brand new have had some version of it for long, way longer than you realize. Right. Um, you know, uh, you look at some of the movies of the sixties even, and they're like talking about using computers to do this and that. And the other thing, and you're like, Jesus Christ, they're talking about it back in the sixties. I didn't even know they had computers back in the sixties, you know, that, um, um, that video I made for my girlfriend, by the way, consisted of me going around the mall, asking (laughs) strangers what their favorite cuss words were. Um, And <laughs> when I was editing it together, I got one gal at Claire's Boutique, I think it was Claire's Boutique, who, who just immediately said, fuck. Yeah. And <laughs> I edited it together. So it's me going, what's your favorite cuss word? And then she goes, fuck, fuck, mm-hmm. fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that is a glimpse into 19, 20-year-old Jeremy's mind. Oh, and not only did you now you're using the two VCR method, which means you also had to account for the five second run back every time you yes. stop the tape. Yes. <laughs> which yeah, was, was the fucking worst. <laughs> it was not very clean edit, I will admit. But um So there were there might have been times like, what is your favorite cuss word? And it's like it. it. 
And yep. then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> Let's get on to the next one. This was a great first question. Yes. Oh, and this is a great second question. I love this. What character in a movie did you cheer for getting murdered horribly? Mm. Murder. You know what, what's great about this question is they don't actually have to have been murdered horribly for you to have wished it. That's true. That's true. Um, you just enjoyed it. You cheer yeah. for it. Yeah. Uh, a Morton Joe in Mad Max Fury Road. I think that's like <laughs> ultimate, ultimate evil uh, vanquished. I was very happy he died. Was that, uh, <laughs> did Furiosa rip his mask off or was it, uh, was it Max? It was I Furiosa, it was, wasn't it? I wasn't, I thought it was uh, Rosie Huntington Whiteley or one of those. Oh, one of his really? wives. One of his wives that did it. I think yeah. I could be wrong. It could be Furiosa, uh, but I thought it was one of them because that was what made the most sense. They were the victims of yeah, him, yeah, for the sure, biggest for victims sure. of him. Um, I also have uh, Nitty and the Untouchables. Yes. Uh, nice. Uh, was He's a big in the car. <clears throat> yeah. Especially, I mean, they really set him up pretty well after he kills the Connery character and, and, uh, and then he's like, your, your friend died. He's like a little pig. And squealing like a stuck Irish pig. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did he and, uh, uh, fall off the building? He did. Well, yeah. He had a little help from yeah, well, a sure, little arms. <laughs> he had a little accident. But yeah, there's even a point where uh, Costner is ho- holding on to him and he thinks that he's going to pull him up and then he just lets him go like yeah, a fucking yeah, yeah. badass. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, this one's going to be unpopular and I, I want to. I want to have a, a disclaimer. I, I am not saying this guy should die for any other reason than he's being annoying in this movie, but <laughs> the dude in the wheelchair in Texas chainsaw massacre was very happy that he died. Oh, the, the one of the kids, right? The, one of the, yeah, he, yeah, 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 yeah. He's always complaining. Yes. He's always yelling for his sister and, uh, and, and look, and look, he's right, probably. He's absolutely <laughs> probably right to be the way he is in this movie. But when you're sitting there watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and he keeps saying his sister's name over and over and again because he wants something or he's complaining about something, I was kind of glad he died. I was kind of glad yeah. he died. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Oh, man, I should have thought more about this. You had such great answers there. Uh, Matt Damon in The Departed. Yeah, um, yeah. Because until he dies, he's gotten away with it. And and I can't abide that. Um, Why why is everybody in his building pissed off at him? I forget. Because he's an asshole. No, I I had the same. I I brought up the same question, I believe, on a previous Sincast. I was like... I understand that he's the bad guy, but right. how do they know yeah, that we he know. is? Right, right unless right, right. unless Mark Wahlberg went around the building and said, "You know that guy in two hundred three? He's an totally asshole." Something Digman would do, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he 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 went into your house and he he played with your panties while you were gone. You know, some bullshit. Here's my theory. I think he's lived there long enough. He, he all movie long he gives off asshole vibes in little ways right like mm-hmm. when they bring the dessert at the restaurant he mocks it he's like how the fuck am i supposed to eat this thing when he's on the elevator before he even meets the girl he holds the doors open for like 
a minute and a 30 seconds while he flirts mm-hmm. with this girl and yeah. everybody in the elevator just has to take it. Now, if you mm-hmm. lived in an apartment building with that guy, this has probably happened before. Yeah. And you, yeah. you've already gotten the vibe. This guy's an asshole. That's my theory. Mm-hmm. Or but they all, or they all heard the the recording that Leonardo DiCaprio gave. They yeah. all, they all yeah, got a copy of. Sent <laughs> <laughs> to the people in your apartment. It's fucking cold, yo. <laughs> he plays that part perfectly though, because he, he's still almost likable, like throughout <laughs> all that shit. Like because he's Matt Damon, you still kind of have a soft spot for him. But he's such a dickhead. He gets these <laughs> little subtle jabs at him, like. He can't well, get and, it up with uh, Vera Farmiga. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, and uh, he comes in straight away, and and uh, when she's trying to ha- put up pictures of her and everything, she's like, "Oh, you know, I care about who you are. Just not around the apartment, <laughs> you know." <laughs> oh, oh man, uh, I also put down um, Bradley Whitford in Cabin in the Woods, but <laughs> yes. only for comedy's sake. I mean. Yep. I don't know that he, I mean, he's probably done enough evil. He probably mm-hmm. does deserve to die mm-hmm. in the grand mm-hmm. scales of justice, but uh, it's the method by which he's he's going to die, and it just brings me glee mm-hmm. um, because what he a, finally gets what to is see his last na- His last line is like, are you fucking kidding me or something, uh, something yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> because he's, cause he's always wanted to see the, the uh, merman, merman. <laughs> and the merman ends up killing thing. him. And, like, <laughs> you can hear the thump the thump and it goes all blurry to clear and he's like what yeah. <laughs> arguably that's his best moment right where yeah. like in his life where he's like, he finally sees it but yeah he gets mm-hmm. yep that's it for me <clears throat> what do you got barrett all right so um what a what a manipulation uh that the revenant does because mm. tom hardy is the villain in the revenant um, as the movie portrays him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that final fight between uh, Hugh Glass and, and his character uh, is so visceral and so it takes goddamn forever. Everybody's mm-hmm. cut up. Everybody's like all fucking you know, bloody and shit like that. And you've already endured a ridiculous amount of violence and pain to this point in this movie. So when he finally does get scalped, well, no, yeah, so he gets... He gets essentially mortally wounded and glass sends him down the river. And then he gets uh, taken by the, is it the crease? Um, I think it, uh, uh, when he gets taken by the native Americans, uh, he, it's so satisfying because Mm. a, the hero of the story has won the day. The big thing uh, with, with uh, Tom Hardy's character is his treatment of the, you know, Hugh Glass's kid. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think he's necessarily wrong to let Glass die and go on their their way because otherwise maybe the rest of them are going to die, which I think a lot of them do anyway. But mm-hmm. like, you know, but given the the uh, the the heel turn at the end of that movie and that fight, man, you're just happy to see him go. And especially to go at the hands of the Native Americans that he's been so racist and awful to you know, this entire time, uh, that is satisfying. Am I, am I wrong? I, I know we all love that character, but we're all glad to see him go. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, they had to manufacture a reason for, I mean, cause the, that real story, he's not, 
he's i mean none of that native american stuff happens so, right all right yeah yeah so they yeah, had yeah. to manufacture a reason for uh him to be so hateful in it so yes definitely uh i i wanted to see him die very slowly well i'll tell you <laughs> what immediately when i when i think about this i think about and it, there was a million movies that popped into my head that I couldn't, or moments that I couldn't place the movies where somebody finally kills the killer and the music cuts, the dialogue cuts, everything cuts. And they just hear him go, ah, <laughs> yeah. An example of that would be, and, and this is not somebody I wanted to die, but the example of that would be uh fucking Jeff Bridges shooting Ben Foster in uh, hell or high water. Mm-hmm. Where he has that moment of celebration and realization of all the yeah. shit that has happened on mm. this. Now, Ben Foster should die in that movie. He mm-hmm. is objectively you know, not a good person and not a good, uh, you know, uh, he's a great character. He's just not a, a, a good character. Um, but uh, yeah, there's stuff like that. But, you know, the the one that really popped out was when Brody finally kills uh, the shark and Jaws. Because, oh. I mm-hmm. mean... His shit's fucked up, man. At hit this point, fucking Quint is dead. Fucking uh, Mr. Holland's dead. Fucking like he's <laughs> he's going into the ocean. He's got literally one fucking shot I left. I mean, he didn't die. Mr. Holland didn't die. In his mind, he thinks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In his yeah, mind, yeah. he thinks he's gone. Mr. Mr. Holland. Mr. Holland, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Bob and- Rumson. <laughs> Bob Rumson died. Dr. Leo Marvin <laughs> always dies. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, like when he finally gets that shot and not only does Bruce die, he gets blown to smithereens apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that moment on, uh, on uh, Roy Scheider's face where he's just like, ah! Oh, I know it's such a great moment. God, it's damn, such it's a so great good. moment. It gives me chills. Do you even bringing it up? Oh, it's so, so. good. And then the the last one is that even though Hans Landa doesn't die at the end of Inglorious Bastards, which we were talking about before the show started, that ending is so perfect because Mm -hmm. he he is defected. He thinks he's got this whole thing figured out and he's going to just live out his life as a non-Nazi, even after all the atrocities that he has done. Mm -hmm. And rather than you could say, give him the easy way out of just killing him, uh, Aldo Rain says, you know, this is going to be my masterpiece and carves a mm. fucking swastika into, into his mm-hmm. head. And that is very satisfying to me. You know, Hitler being killed in, in the, the actual story is fantastic. Uh, the mm-hmm. Manson family getting mangled at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is satisfying. But I think, I think the Hans Landa character being forever marked is is such a brilliant idea and i think that was well and also goes back to the to the question right it allows you to say that you wanted to see him die horribly uh even though he didn't yeah yeah yeah. or mutilated i'm i'm glad i'm happy Mm -hmm. happy. yeah get out there hans fucking Mm -hmm. asshole (laughs) all right you want the next one yeah i mean no no this one's gonna be fun (laughs) This person was just watching Hellraiser. Mm. Wow. wow. And wow, was his brother and wife a pair of a-holes. Mm. Sir, I need you to watch your language. <laughs> Dude, it was funny. When I first read this question, I didn't see the A there. <laughs> so I was like, pair of holes. And I was like, you know what? We should say this more often. You're such a hole. Or, you know, it. there's something about it, man. There's something about it that I like. So... <laughs> What a, a hole. hole. Yeah, what a yeah. hole. 
Who's a hole? Anyways, brother and wife were a pair of a-holes. I have seen Hellraiser. I don't remember that, but I'm sure this person is right. What is the movie with the worst family member and or spouse? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me, it's Neil Perry's parents in Dead Poet Society. Oh yeah, Robert Sean um, Leonard is it? Robert Sean Leonard plays Neil Perry, and Kurt Wood Smith plays his dad. Uh, Kurt Wood Smith, obviously, back in this era, was always playing the stern asshole guy. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's more of i think he's more of an asshole in this movie than he is in robocop and he kills people in robocop yeah Mm. um but think about the pressure of society on these rich folks and then how they translate that to their kids you know he's he's uh, neil's supposed to be this uh you know doctor when he by the time he's he's done Mm -hmm. uh and but he really wants to be an actor he's he's got the acting bug and this is something that he really wants to do and uh even though he has been encouraged by robin williams in the movie to go and tell his parents about it he knows he can't talk to his dad about going to act he knows he can't do that and he um goes and does it uh, uh anyway and um in a there's that whole scene where he said where Kurtwood Smith is like basically saying, uh, uh, you know, you know, you're going to be a doctor and that's all that's that. And basically it's all in the parents glory. It has nothing to do with the son's glory whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the mom, I don't, I, it's hard to blame the mom because she's obviously been, you know, she's probably been abused in some way too by this guy. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't do anything that she 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 obviously wants what neil wants but she can't say anything either mm-hmm. she doesn't care about the status uh and all this but that's that's how you know i mean you know that the there's societal pressure because they're at the reason why uh he find how kurtwood smith finds out about this acting is when when uh is when one of his friends says oh your son neil is in a play with one of my one of my kids and he's like, he's like, oh no, he's no, he's not in some sort of play. And you made a liar out of me, Neil. And, yeah. um, um, uh, at the very end, like towards the end when he's, uh, when they, when he's busted him doing the uh, midsummer night's dream at the end and everything, and he's in the chair and Neil finally comes up with the balls to say something like, what about what I want? He, he can't say any more than that. He has mm-hmm. no, and Kurtwood Smith is like, He's like, what is it? This acting business? Because you can forget about that. He's like, and, and, and that's, that's basically that. And the mom just sits there and does nothing the whole time. I think they, uh, and then, then they have the balls to uh, blame Neil's death on uh, Mr. Keating in the Mm -hmm. movie. That's, that adds even more. And it's so realistic. I mean, think, think about what goes on in society every day. Uh, it's such a realistic thing for people to blame others for what happened to their family members and mm-hmm. not look inward. And, uh, and yeah, they're, they're just evil fucking monsters. I mean, mm-hmm. the mom, probably not an evil fucking monster, but certainly just never had the, uh, you know, didn't have the strength to fight back against her husband. And 
Cause a good question as to whether or not she should have at some point down that line figured out a way. Um, mm. but yeah, those, those guys are monsters. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Gotcha. I was also have a very, very realistic one. The dad <laughs> in walk hard. <clears throat> <laughs> The wrong kid died. Yeah. <laughs> um, he goes hard, man. And, and no pun intended. Like, even when Dewey's on his fucking, you know, uh, recovery trip and everything, he gets in there and he's just like, the wrong kid died. Yeah. Um, a serious answer that I thought of while you were talking, Chris, that I want to supersede my planned answers with is uh, Natalie Portman's family in The Professional. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is a at least a mom and dad the little boy he's harmless he's an angel the older sister probably just a regular older sister but the parents they don't love this kid they barely even acknowledge this kid's existence mm-hmm. um and that apartment the first time you go into that apartment and watch how that family interacts it just makes you feel dirty not just because The apartment itself is very dirty, but because the people are dirty, their souls have come out of Marcellus Wallace's suitcase Mm -hmm. and they are dirty souls, heavy, dirty souls, says Mm -hmm. 21 Pilots. Um, (laughs) I just think that's an awful family, um, especially when it's juxtaposed with how ultimately easy it is for a fucking hitman to treat her with a little bit of kindness. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, yeah, what else did I write down? Anything else worth saying? Oh, the family and ready or not. Oh, <laughs> nice one. Yeah. Oh, I love oh, that my movie God. so much. Oh. I do too, but they're so evil. Yes. Like, everything, I mean, even the even the fiance's son is evil. Why would you ever bring someone into this environment? Even if you think, oh, we're just going to get tic-tac-toe this year for my fiance. You still just brought her into this family. Now she's going to be a part of future murders, even if she doesn't get murdered. What's the deal with Adam Adam Brody in that? Is he framed as the good guy? I forget. No, Uh, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say he's a good guy. I just think he, he doesn't really care about the tradition. Okay. There's the moment near the end where he does the right thing, but I feel like it's ultimately undercut. I do feel like he tries to help her at one point. He does. But, there's yeah, a, there's yeah. also a hint that he kind of is in love with her too. Mm-hmm. And, um, I could you but, right. Exactly. Um, uh, I, I, I would, I would frame it as more of a, as a generational change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that may have been a great tradition back in his dad's day, but now this doesn't seem like it flies. And he's probably like, I don't even think this, he, he probably even thinks, what is the point of this anymore? Like this does, are we really rich because we keep doing this? Uh, every time somebody gets married in our, in our family, um, you know, uh, and I get the sense that there's a lot of things going on. He's drinking during it. He's Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of different things, but so I, I think he's willing to go along with it. If it were, if it were anybody, you know, he wasn't attracted to maybe he probably would just go through with it, Mm. but I don't know. I, I, I never got the sense he was a truly good person in that. Well, he ends up with the same fate as the rest of the family. It's true. <laughs> well, yeah, I gotta watch that movie again. You just mm-hmm. got my my uh, emotions all all <laughs> wilded out. Uh, mine is I'll, I'll stay with alt horror and say the family and get out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man! Speaking mm-hmm. of Bradley man. Whitford. Speaking uh, of Bradley yeah. Whitford. 
Bradley Whitford, Catherine Keener, Allison Williams, and uh, the creepy guy. Um, yeah, Caleb Landry Jones. Yeah, that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. They are obviously evil bastards all working on one evil bastard plan uh, for generations. This mm-hmm. fucking family, man. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the commentary obviously makes it so much better of how they're essentially posing as progressive um you know elites uh and she even gives him a heads up about it she gives uh, she she tells Daniel Kaluuya's character she's like he's going to tell you he would have voted for Obama for the third time if he could <laughs> and of course he does and and like and you and you believe you believe at that point that he's corny as fuck but you mm-hmm. don't you don't know the extent of which he's an asshole you know he's an asshole you kind of think Catherine Keener's character is an asshole Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know Caleb Landry Johnson's a fucking asshole. Yep, uh, he doesn't hide it. He does not. Uh, but that's that's good. I, I have to put in the uh, the second generation of the Corleone family and the Godfather um, as the biggest a holes. Now, obviously, Michael Corleone is the biggest asshole of all time uh, because you know he kills his brother, he kills all the heads of the five families, he kills Mo Green. He, he basically. Uh, becomes a true psychopath, but everybody else in that movie, in that franchise, in that generation, are big old assholes too. Sonny orders a hit on the the kid that's supposed to chauffeur Vito around without knowing whether or not he actually uh, had anything to do with the shooting. Now he does, but he doesn't know that at the time. And Clements is like, "It's done. That's it. Like I just fucking kill that guy. That's it." Uh, and, and then you look at Godfather two and look at what Tom Hagen does with the Senator and covering up that whole situation. Like you could argue that Fredo's the best one. Fredo tried to have his brother killed. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like everybody, all that generation, you look at Connie, Connie's just a fucking basket case. Yes. A lot of it's because of trauma, but Jesus Christ, like that generation veto, ascended to his the top of his field you could say by being compassionate by looking out by always punching up instead of down right mm-hmm. and it seems like uh the 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 second generation of Corleones are just like fuck it i'm gonna do whatever i want to do and yet mm-hmm. we root for him for some reason <clears throat> mm-hmm. i can tell i got jeremy drawn in with this godfather conversation yeah. but i no, it's like uh, I gotta. I, I gotta be honest. I love The Godfather. I've seen the first two movies probably five or six times in my whole life each. Um, but sometimes it's like it's like listening to you guys talk about poker because I don't know. I mean, outside of Corleone, you start throwing out these other names, and I don't know if it's another family head or like somebody who works for the Don or if he's in Tony Soprano's crew. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. Of overlap. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't trying to uh, <laughs> tune you out. I just, it's not easy for me to follow, but I did, I know the Fredo part. Mm-hmm. Well, when Fredo, when Fredo uh, turned the flop, uh, yeah. then he really, he bet hard. We had pocket aces at the time. Yeah. You got to remember that. He mm-hmm. brought the juice and yeah. All right. Anyway, mm-hmm. so that's that's uh, that's my answer. But uh, but then my, Kirsten Bunch showed up. No, <laughs> 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 trying to figure something. 
figure something out to get Jeremy back into the conversation. Kristen <laughs> uh, Stewart uh, is a, uh, yeah. Yeah, Kristen Stewart. But I'm sure Kirsten Dunst would work too. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Those are definitely some holes. All of them are holes. Just the holes have Dunst, been. Uh, she's married to Jesse Plemons, right? Yep. Yes. They have a kid together too. Like just fairly recently, right? Yeah, like in the last couple of years. They met um, doing Fargo. Yeah, doing the Fargo. They were... Uh, they were they were a couple in that season uh, season three. two three two yeah I think it's season two two I got to go back and watch that God that's such a good show anyway mm-hmm. yeah, good for them what uh, yeah. what a handsome couple that's right mm-hmm. all right everybody it's time to talk about better help better help this is good stuff folks I've heard this and God bless them better helps getting the message out not only through us but through other uh, outlets. Um, and there's a reason for it. Like they're really putting that this service out there in a time where people really need it. You know, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, no matter where in that pandemic that we're we're at. Uh, people are still being cautious. People are still staying uh, more at home. Uh, telehealth is is uh, going gangbusters because there's a big need for it. Um, and if you think about it, man, uh, you take an anxious person. Take a person that really has issues, in particular, with social anxiety, with going places, with interacting with people, uh, with interacting with multiple people. It could be a little challenging uh, for this person to go into a regular therapist's office, sit down, deal with the insurance, deal with the front desk person, deal with the people in the waiting room and all that stuff, just to get to the appointment. Um, So you can imagine that that person or people uh, that, that need certain things like that uh, would do very, very well with a counseling service that is at home, online, all taken care of, on your console, on your tablet, phone, whatever, uh, where you just log on to your counseling room, schedule your appointments, do your appointments, whether they're video or they're chats or whatever. Everything is right there. BetterHelp has all that ready for you. And it's awesome. I um <clears throat> I want to just give a little anecdote about my own personal journey um and and share a bit of progress I've had uh, that has come directly from therapy uh as well as uh, some tips and tools that I've learned in therapy to apply in my day-to-day life. So in June my brother's family was down visiting and uh we had a good time. Um we always enjoy seeing them. He's got three kids. Um, and, uh, they, when they left, it was about 10 minutes. I turned to my wife and I said, I love them. I love seeing them. Why am I so freaking relieved when they leave? Mm. Like it's, it's, I'm, I'm anxious because my routine is not being followed. There are five extra people in the house. I'm anxious about the cats getting out. I have all these anxieties that show up whenever my routine is altered. Um, but I've been learning about why that is. I've been learning about the root cause of that particular kind of my anxiety. Um, and understanding it helps a lot. I've also learned some things to do, specifically uh, breathing exercises, that, memory tricks uh, that can help focus in a moment of anxiety. So my brother and his family were just here again this past weekend. I had the best time. Nice. And when they left, I was sad and I missed them. Uh, and I wasn't relieved. Um, I'm glad I had, you were sad. 
I had moments of <laughs> I had moments of anxiety when they were here, but I was able to get through them without that weighing around my neck the entire weekend. And that I'm telling you is huge for me. And it all came because not just therapy, but regular therapy and regular search and discovery about my own brain, my own life, and why I am the way I am. And BetterHelp can help you make that kind of progress, too. And you don't even have to get out of your pajamas or leave your bedroom. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you should, probably. But you don't have to. <laughs> Depends on what time of day, whether right, or not you sure, should. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 that makes sense. But I mean, these uh, these coping strategies that Jeremy was just talking about is like you know in a video game uh, where you're you're playing as a character, like Free Guy, where like mm. he just happens upon like a medical kit and like all of a sudden he's like, yeah. I feel great, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, and and when he's picking up money and stuff like that, these are these are skills that you actually use like use like items that you collect. Uh, mm. over time and it, it may seem kind of cliche and rote but no they actually do come in really handy uh when you need them yeah um you know both before as preparation uh for a situation in, in which you may think that you're, you're gonna have uh, some some uh, adverse uh, effects but also in the moment breathing exercises focusing um being aware that kind of thing better help guys is online professional counseling uh, you can access it today, right this second. In fact, if you want to pause this right now, baby, by all means, go pause this right now. Go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. Get 10% off your first month. Uh, you answer some questions. Uh, you get uh, set up with a licensed professional counselor. Uh, you're matched within 48 hours. I mean, that's less than two days, people. That's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you're off and running. You know, you can you can talk to that person if for some reason you are having uh, an issue with you know, breaking through or breaking ground or something like that, you can switch therapists at any time with no judgment, no cost or anything like that. BetterHelp has it all. They really have uh, worked this out to where it's the most patient-centric or client-centric platform that I have seen uh, in this area. So I would highly recommend it, as we all would, betterhelp.com, H-E-L-P.com slash Zencast. Go ahead right now, now. Here we go. What movie provides the most interesting slash unique take on life after death? Mm. This person asked this after watching The Discovery with Jason Segel and Robert Redford. Uh, there is a trigger warning for mass talk and some depiction of suicide. I don't know. I'm assuming there's a lot of talk about suicide is what that Oh, means. mass talk. Okay, got you. Uh, the, the ideas presented in the movie are not something I had ever heard. I hope you're doing well. Um, I've actually never heard of The Discovery. Have you guys? No. Um, yes, but it went out of my brain. So this is like me rediscovering the discovery. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have uh, did you see the letters di disker or whatever, and uh, have to like wipe it off to figure it out? <laughs> the discovery. Um, VJ. Uh, I um, I I haven't seen the Seventh Seal in forever, uh, but a lot of the things that we take uh you know that that movie has the you know the main character playing chess with the grim reaper and that's what they did in bill and ted's bogus journey and what yeah right. exactly uh you know uh it's uh it, i i think it's set during the black plague and it's uh Ing ingmar bergman who was always a cheerful director um <laughs> uh you know was it's an exploration of of life after death and you know it's 
there's very few movies that have have matched its style and its uh and everything but i haven't seen it in forever so maybe it's antiquated today uh as far as its uniqueness but uh i don't know can anything ever not become unique once it, i mean once it was unique back in 1957 does it become not unique if people have done those type of things since um I don't know, man. There's so many different, obviously, different takes that you could uh, make on the afterlife, including uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. You could throw yeah, that it's in. very true. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, mean, there were thoughts of also like stuff like The Sixth Sense, where, yeah. but the, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's not the, the whole idea that the character that you're talking to is dead the whole time wasn't brand new. I hate to break that to everybody. But, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the it's just, you know, I, that, that one was, I mean, and you know, that one came to mind, but I, I felt like the, I feel like the seventh seal is one that, uh, you know, is it's, it's should be discussed in the life after death. Yeah. Again, that. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, what do you I think, think I've ever seen that movie? <clears throat> um, it's only an hour and a half, by the way. Uh, it sounds like something that sh- that'll be three and a half hours long, like the seventh seal and Max von Cito, <laughs> young, Mike, young Max von Cito, like, mm. you know, uh, is in that one. But, uh, yeah, I, I need to watch it again myself. So um, meaning he was like 65. He was 65. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was the guy that's like, an, that I'm, was it Franklin Jella? Oh yeah, Frank Frank Langella. Langella, yeah, yeah. Like, he's like he's like I like him, but I've never seen him when he's not old. <laughs> <laughs> um, either one of you guys ever see Defending Your Life? Yeah, Albert Brooks. <sighs> Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. Yeah, Rip Torn. I don't think I have, and I've seen a lot of Albert Brooks movies, but I think I've missed that one. I've had two different times in my life where I've gone on um, Albert Brooks binges and watched mm-hmm. all of his movies. And Modern I've, Romance. I've also surprisingly gone on um, James L. Brooks binges. Right. Um, <laughs> and there's some overlap there. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Albert Brooks wrote and directed Defending Your Life, and he plays the main character, goes to heaven, and basically is put on trial. Now, you have to swallow the conceit we all hate that human beings only use a certain percentage of their brain. In this mm. movie, it's like less than five. Well, at um, least it's not uh, a basis to give the other person superpowers afterwards. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So they basically joke that, you know, on Earth, you only use three or five percent of your brain um, because you're so overcome by your fears. And so the trial is to determine if he's still afraid and, and has to go back to earth and get reincarnated and, and try and conquer his fears in another life, or if he has conquered enough fears to use more than 5% of his brain, in which case he'll be allowed to move on to the next phase of existence uh, because his higher brain power will be able to enjoy more of the universe. Um, and it's in this little village full of people who are all in the phases of being on trial. He meets Meryl Streep. Uh, and they fall in love, mm-hmm. and uh, basically, it's it's very Albert Brooksy. Uh, it's 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 talky, it's high concept, uh, it's funny, um, and I'm not going to spoil it, even though it's a 30 year old movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an interesting way because when to to look at uh, the afterlife, because when he's on trial, they keep showing video clips of his life. Um, where in moments where he was afraid, where he had fears, um, 
And uh, yeah, I like it. It's a nice little gem that I would never have watched had I not started with broadcast news and said, I want to watch everything that guy does. Mm -hmm. He's awesome. Yeah, I need to see that. I, there's a I've, I've seen Modern Romance like multiple times. Um, what's the other one that I've seen? It's got Julie, Julie Haggerty in it. Um, uh oh, the I just watched that one a week ago. Um, uh, it's that. It's like it isn't that a cross country trip or something with an RV. Yeah, it's because uh, he quits his lost job. in America. Yes, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Modern Romance. <laughs> has that great because he plays a a sound gaffer guy in modern romance and like there's a a scene where uh, they're doing this science fiction film and the guy's running across a spaceship floor and they're trying to come up with the footstep sounds and everything and and uh and they're like looking for old audio because they don't have anything they, they can't figure out how to get the steps to match or whatever and so they're like looking for old audio and they, they get this one that's like hulk hulk uh running or something like that is what it's called the the file they have hulk running and like they put the hulk running over this guy running through the spaceship and it's like oh <laughs> and albert brooks is like he's like that's not hulk running that's hulk <laughs> screaming that's what that should say <laughs> wow i love this question and of of our generation of my generation i guess uh, the first thing that came to my mind was what dreams may come uh, oh yeah, yeah. And i kind of want to go back and revisit that because i do remember it being of course visually uh beautiful but also mm -hmm. that's, that's a bad movie it's uh you know what i was surprised uh that movie got terrible reviews when it came out i remember watching it and not liking it but i think it's got a 7.2 or something on the imdb these days interesting interesting mm -hmm. well that's why i kind of want to go back and, and give it another shot just to, mm. to see if it's as bad as i thought it was but my <clears throat> my real things are uh one irreverent thing beetlejuice man beetlejuice mm -hmm. is so great when uh when Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis just realize they're they're dead and and they're trying to to spook the the new people out of their house, it's fucking hilarious, man! It's such a great take on the afterlife and what you would do to kind of get your old life back or to settle into what the afterlife is going to look like. You have to uh, recruit the services of this. Uh, what is his title? uh the obviously the ghost with the most but like uh anti-exorcist or something like that he's a human exorcist uh, uh michael remember. keaton's character and uh michael keaton i think people now i think they probably know him as more of a serious actor uh even batman he's kind of more of a serious stuff he especially birdman especially spotlight you know stuff like that and people forget that he was every bit as big of a comic actor as somebody like Jim Carrey or Ryan Reynolds or anything mm -hmm. like that. He had a career like Tom Hanks was in a bunch of comedies and then started doing a little drama there and never really quite got to the Oscar nominee level that Tom Hanks did every year, but it started kind of like the same, same way. Yeah. And actually I wonder, I, and I don't know this, I should know this off the top of my head, but uh, was he nominated for Birdman? Uh, for I believe actor. he was I believe he was yeah it would be a shame if he, he weren't he lost but i i i can't remember who he who won but yeah even with and i you know spotlight obviously won but he wasn't i don't even know if he was if he was nominated for that because it's such an ensemble piece I think so 
He's only been nominated once, and it was for Birdman. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's definitely moving in that direction, but he was such a great comic actor, uh, mm-hmm. especially... You know, you go back and watch Beetlejuice. You'll you'll be absolutely mm-hmm. smiling ear to ear. Oh yeah, Nona Ryder is great in that. Alec Baldwin, and Gina Davis are great as that couple. By the way, mm-hmm. uh, Catherine O'Hare. The the whole thing is just so much fun. Yeah, and I would be remiss uh, to not mention Coco. 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 Uh, I would mm-hmm. take I would take over Soul. I know a lot of people like Soul uh, as one of the most emotionally resonant uh, pictures of the afterlife. Um, mm-hmm. I am not ashamed to admit that I bawled like an absolute baby at the end of Coco uh, mm-hmm. during the Remember Me song. Uh, it is it is gut-wrenching. The Edward James mm-hmm. Olmos character, Chicho Ron in, in The Afterlife. Um, yeah. Even the, the, uh, the, the pain behind the eyes of uh, Gael Garcia Bernal, uh, mm-hmm. his character in The Afterlife um the abuela like god damn this movie this movie is absolutely aces oh no this is is this disney or pixar i know there's pixar. the same Both. thing but it's pixar but it's pixar. yeah it's pixar on mm-hmm. on that side of things yeah it is up there i think with every bit as good as inside out to me um every bit as good as like the the top tier uh pixar movies um yeah it's so great visually musically Acting wise, looks I mean, like you got cool. some pain behind those eyes. You got some pain <laughs> behind those skeleton eyes. Uh, and the uh, the bridge going over to the land of the dead is one of the most visually spectacular things. I had to like just pause it the first time I watched it because mm-hmm. I was like, "Holy fuck, that's amazing!" Yeah. Uh, so yeah, watch Coco if you haven't watched Coco. You probably watch Coco, but if not, watch Coco. Coco. Mm-hmm. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. Uh, this will be a fun one. Hey, <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like this. This will be a fun one. What song has been indelibly linked to a movie? I heard a commercial with Edith Piaf singing Je ne, gr- <laughs> Je ne regret rien and immediately thought about Inception, of course, uh, or mm-hmm. that song to be tied to the Penguins of Madagascar, of course. Yes, right. I have seen the Penguins of Madagascar and I know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, it's interesting. I, I think friends of mine like Mike and Barrett had probably, uh, heard, I know had heard where's my mind by the pixies before fight club. Mm. Uh, I had not somehow I had completely missed that song up until the point fight club came out. I don't know if it's because of that, but that song is always going to be tied to fight club to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. very end of that and all the buildings exploding and Edward Norton and Helena Bonham Carter having their moment um, at the end. I can't think of a bet. I mean, that song is so perfect for that thing, even though Barrett uh, mentioned a long time ago what that song was really about. 
Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> him. Francis it's like him chasing a chicken around or something. No, it, well, um, he's he's swimming in the Caribbean and he sees a fish and he starts thinking about how the the fish is is what the, what the fish is experiencing. But oh, okay. I had, nothing I had, to was, do with the chicken then. <laughs> no, but I was uh, well versed in that song as you mentioned. I got Surfer Rosa back in the day, probably because it has an exposed breast mm-hmm. uh, on the cover. But uh, I even, uh, as soon as I hear that, that's the first thing that I think. I've got a question for you, though. Yeah. What happens to Tyler slash uh, Edward Norton's character after that? Does he die? What ha- what well, happens at the end of Fight Club, do you think? He's going to have some pretty hefty medical bills if he doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think I think the movie is saying that the Tyler part of him is gone yes. um, because he figures it out and he you know he he takes a stand against that character at the end. Uh, a lot of people speculated that the building they're in is supposed to blow up, but they they disarmed the bomb, I believe, in the building yes. that they're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so a lot of people have speculated, well, they're in a building that's going to blow up. Well, no, it doesn't blow up because they disconnected it, but. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you see that couple living happily ever after, uh, that, uh, you know, it's yeah. weird because me. he does blow the, the Brad Pitt character out of his, his, his head. But I think at that point, doesn't he become Tyler Durden, right? It, like he, he still has the ideas, like he's watching the world burn. But he uh, thinks he thinks what Tyler's done is horrifying. That's yeah. why he goes on all those trips to make sure just, what's going on. I think they're just watching the spectacle, like it's a fireworks show or something. There's, it's, it's too late to turn it back now. But I, he, he may be the 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 quiet, meek uh, shopper or whatever, back to the regular Edward Norton that we know. But mm-hmm. but he's just at that point, it's an inevitability, and he's just going to watch it watch it for the time yeah i think it's you know you know i mean that's the end of his personal journey and of course it ends with a bunch of uh insurance and bank buildings getting exploded at the end um so yeah i yeah i mean yeah it's sort of like what can you do at that point right yeah what's done is done um uh i also put in a sexy boy by air which is in 10 things I hate about you when they throw Mm. the invitations to the party uh, in the stairwell. And it's like, and it's such a great fucking song. Uh, And, uh, and, uh, and, and it goes along with that, that, you know, that scene so well, because there's something poetic about all those invitations falling through the stairwell, like they do (laughs) in that movie um also uh jump into the fire by uh, harry nelson in the goodfellas helicopter scene uh is always going to be almost any song by the way in goodfellas is married to goodfellas uh atlantis by donovan is another one when they're beating down uh mm-hmm. uh what's his name billy bats billy bats when when they're when they're beating out billy bats and that way down below the ocean i've wondered for a long time why he picked that song but it goes along with that scene so well and layla i mean layla was a huge Mm. hit uh before and afterwards uh but you know it, it, it layla's had such a weird arc because it's a Derek and the domino song even though eric clapton played on it Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Derek and the Dominos, and then it's got the, of course, the the big piano part at the end of it that's so associated with Goodfellas, and then Clapton oh, yeah. did it again for his unplugged thing. 
uh, where it became, I think, maybe even charted higher than the original Derek and the Dominoes mm-hmm. uh, thing. By the way, Eric Clapton, not my favorite person right now, but that unplugged performance of Layla is fucking rad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. It is a good one. I have a, I have a few, but the first one I want to talk about is not only associated indelibly with a movie, but now with the studio logo. So like when the Universal logo comes up on my TV and I don't know what's coming on, if I just happen to have been on a movie channel and you hear that, and it finishes their music, I always hear uh, Love You Madly by Cake. Because that's forgetting Sarah Marshall. And I've seen that movie a thousand times. So sometimes just the Universal logo makes me start humming. I want to love you madly. It's interesting just to break in that Universal logo thing. It's every time that comes up, I think of the first time they used it, which was on Lost World Jurassic Park. Because I remember them, that Universal logo was always that plain, you know, world uh, picture with Universal going across it. And then when they did Lost World Jurassic Park, that's when they started doing that. Yeah. So anyway. I uh, also will put down Son of a Preacher Man, Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, We Are Family. and <laughs> the end of the birdcage. Um, <laughs> always think of the birdcage when that song plays. I always do because Rob, there's this moment where Robin Williams walks by Gene Hackman and drag and just encourages him, you know, lip sync, you know, get into it. And, and Gene Hackman's like, we are. You can see him mouthing the words. Uh, I fucking love that movie. I think that is a top 10 comedy of all time. I've been mulling lately a list of what I think would be the top 10 comedy movies of all time and the birdcage. Mm-hmm would be on it <clears throat> fascinating mm-hmm. so you're gonna take uh, and i i think i agree with you you think uh of all the songs in pulp fiction son of a preacher man is the one that's really to be honest any song from that soundtrack if yeah. i hear it on the radio makes me think of that movie yeah. any song but son of a preacher man mostly it's the strongest uh, of mm. all those but tarantino yeah. has this great way of finding music that people can rediscover like, or we're never number one hits, mm-hmm. but, um, so like even in Kill Bill with that, Tarantino's movies are all full of songs like that, where you're like, oh, I remember this, but now I'm only going to associate it with this movie because it's actually more famous now than mm-hmm. before the movie. Like in Death Proof, the the lap dance scene with Vanessa Ferlito, uh, that honky-tonk in Mexico song is just yep. burned into yeah, my brain because of That in Mexico. Yeah, that's good <laughs> stuff. Or After Dark, uh, the Salma Hayek strip tease scene mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Till yeah. Dawn. Yeah, I actually picked a Tarantino movie, too, but I'll uh, eschew that. Um, but uh, it's weird. I've been a David Bowie fan for a long time, but I don't think I can listen to Starman anymore and uh, mm. not think about that. That thing, a, a montage we'll talk about later on, uh, mm-hmm. but that whole sequence in The Martian. Um, mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. perfect. The sound, I was talking to my son about this last night, about how he doesn't like musicals because he th- he feels like it, they're mixed wrong. 
Like uh, you, it, you should have a proper mix, which is, by the way, blew my mind how brilliant this kid is. But like, I think the the sound, the mix in that Starman sequence is perfect because the 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 transfer is so crisp of that song of the track, and then it can hear all the other stuff that's going on because there's a lot of shit going on. That's when uh, the Aries is turning around, right, or plotting their whole thing where mm-hmm. they're, they're boomeranging the around slingshot around earth yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then mark is getting ready on his side and all that shit and all the nasa and the jpl stuff is going on and the chinese are getting that sequence is is just kind of ingrained into me now even though i like the, the pixies like i had heard starman a billion times before i saw that but it did mm-hmm. a great job with that and Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna mm. grab some afternoon delight. <laughs> yeah. Which one? <laughs> well, I think it's Anchorman. And I think it has to be Anchorman because Okay. For uh, me it's Goodwill Hunting. But... I agree. I agree. That's yeah. right up there. And that's the first time in fact, that's the first time I ever heard reference to afternoon afternoon delight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like, you know, we <laughs> can make a lot of love before the sun goes down. I think <laughs> Come on, Doc. Sky rockets and flooded <laughs> afternoon delight. Uh, I you, think really because, you really hypnotize me, you though. Really hypnotize. <laughs> I don't need therapy. Uh, but yeah, no, I think because Matt Damon sing, or Will Hunting sings it so badly in that movie that mm-hmm. I didn't. Think yeah. <laughs> but right. then when you have Anchorman and everybody's just like casually joining in with like all the harmonies, <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you, it's the it's that moment the the moment that makes that's a funny scene no matter what. But the moment that makes it perfect is when they do that perfect harmonized sky rockets in flight, and one of them goes. Yeah, it's champ. It's champ. Well, he goes boo, and then he goes, <laughs> and then and then they talk about it. They go, oh, that's I think that's kind of lame, Ron. Yeah, that's lame, Ron. And then he's like, afternoon delight. <laughs> they just cut it off, and they're like, oh, okay, I got some stuff to do. And they all go back to their things. Oh, it's so great. That afternoon. just that 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 little uh, whatever that is slide whistle thing that you're talking about, <laughs> where uh, reminded me of the the scene in Inside Lou and davis where adam driver is the guy who's like saying all the things during the song so they're like they get done with the song and he sits there and he's like practicing while they're having a conversation he keeps saying shoot Shoot. outer space (laughs) Uh oh (laughs) please mr kennedy Uh (laughs) all right here's a here's a fun one here's the next one here's the next one Mm -hmm. What if Detective Comics, also known mm-hmm. as DC mm-hmm, Comics, mm-hmm. Uh, what if DC had started off their universe with Shazam and the Suicide Squad? Mm-hmm. Both movies were tons of fun and were about the characters in them rather than the movies they were trying to set up for later. Universe building rather than universe dependent. Oh, it's a loaded question, folks. It is. I say I, say I understand this question where they're going with this what if they made good movies instead of (laughs) bad ones um uh but if they they couldn't start off with shazam or the suicide squad right neither of those movies on their own without an attached universe with known characters would those movies do anything i think um I mean, you, I guess you could say we're going to start with Shazam 
and say, this is the beginning of the DCEU and we're going to come out with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman later. Um, but most people are like, who the fuck is Shazam? Or is that that Shaquille O'Neal, uh, <laughs> character? Um, and, uh, and so I don't think they could have come out with movies like that. There's a reason why Marvel didn't come out with guardians of the galaxy first. Right. Right. <clears throat> and they, that, that property, they didn't even think that was going to do anything even after all the Marvel stuff was, uh, was popular. Yeah. Uh, and they stuck it in a, in, in August thinking, eh, okay, we'll see what happens. And then it became a huge hit. So, but they, they wouldn't have started with that. They wouldn't have been like, here's Guardians of the galaxy. And then we'll do Iron Man after that. Um, but yeah, you, I've got a question for you, Chris. Uh, do you think it was Marvel studios that, that had Iron Man, right? It was, it was their, their first movie or was that who that who was, was the, that was the one that kicked it off yeah no no, no i know but Hulk came trying, first well, well Hulk, i mean the no the no, no, no. the yeah. the mcu as you're talking about it iron man came first i'm and trying then to think the incredible of, hulk came out yeah 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 so was it marvel studios that put that out though or was that uh was that a it wasn't disney obviously yet. it was marvel with paramount, paramount. that came out with <laughs> iron man and it was marvel with universal that came out with incredible hulk because Universal still owns the rights to Hulk. Uh, then Paramount, I don't know what deal this was. I wasn't paying attention at the time that it happened. Paramount, which owned Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, all those movies are Paramount. Uh, somehow, some way, Paramount, either they had the one chance to make their movie and they had to sell it to Marvel later or sell it to Disney later. I don't know how that worked. But eventually it became a whole unified thing, except for the Hulk. They had yeah. to still pay Universal their money for that. Um, they unified all those characters under the Disney Marvel banner. Right, so. right, right. Do you think they had expectations for Iron Man? Because as we've talked about before, Iron Man was was kind of... Now, I don't know about the comics. Maybe he's a huge person in the comics. Uh, but to the general public, I don't think a lot of people knew a lot about Iron Man. We've, we've already talked about, you know, the gamble with Robert Downey Jr. And fucking, uh, John Favreau at this point in 2008, <clears throat> do you, do you feel like they, they did have, whether it was Paramount or whether it was Marvel or whether it was both of them together, do you think they had, obviously no one could have predicted what, what it became, but like, do you think they had pretty high expectations for that whole, like story that's a good question actually it's a good question because i think they did a poll before that movie came out like how many of you know what iron man is hmm. and you know most of the public did not know who iron man was at all i, I mean i um, i knew just very peripherally and you know it, at the same time they did have the stinger at the end with uh sam jackson and the stingers you know the avengers initiative and everything at the end and uh, they even put in, you know, uh, is it, is it Downey at the end of Incredible Hulk or is it? Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. it, cause it's Jackson. So they the had, of, yeah, yeah, they had to have had some inkling that it was going to be, maybe they knew what they had as a movie when they made it. Mm. Like not many people know who this is, but we're going to make them know who it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they, and you know, you, I, I don't know who else they could have. I mean, Captain America, I suppose, could have launched that that whole thing because more people mm -hmm. know who Captain America is. They didn't have the rights to Spider Man, 
Right. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and so it, 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 I don't know. It, it may have been, a, it's a good question. And actually, you know, from what I'm, what I just said about DC not starting off with uh, Shazam or something like that, maybe there, maybe there was a legitimate way to start off with Shazam and then just say, Batman and Superman are coming. We just want to do this one first. It's almost, yeah. I mean, if, if they had followed that, and especially with the movies that ended up with Shazam and, and, uh, and, um, well, Guardians, or not Guardians of the Galaxy, Suicide Squad. And mm-hmm. I, I think Jeremy and I had suggested throwing in Birds of Prey, too, uh, with yep. uh, because that's such a fun movie, the antithesis mm-hmm. of everything. Uh, I think if you had started out like that, and you had started out with something like Iron Man, right? Like a, like a, a, a substantial character, but maybe not one that everybody knows, that that would have been, you know, more of the reverse, like, engineering thing to build up to... Man of Steel was the first DCEU official movie, right? Yes. Okay. In the end, in the end, though, what their real problem was was not that they didn't come out with something like Shazam first. The problem is, is that they saw what the Avengers did, mm. and they said, "I want to do that now." Yes. And, <laughs> I don't want to wait. And they could have cleaned up by getting a kevin feige type to come in and be like um let's make superman and shit we can make it dour but let's make it good let's not make it a slog Mm -hmm. um uh and you know just had a plan for all the movies before they came out because now you can see what warner brothers is doing with all these properties now they're just like whatever it comes to our head we're just sticking it out there absolutely joker's well, in his own they, universe batman's in his they own other even universe. got to a certain degree they got what they wanted they gave they gave this universe to snyder and he made man of steel batman v superman and justice league batman v superman was a massive box office hit now, it didn't make as much as they wanted, but that made a shit ton of movie. But that wasn't enough for them because they wanted <laughs> they wanted the praise that the MCU was getting, too. And honestly, my whole take to this whole question is, <clears throat> do they? <clears throat> I always lost my train of thought. I have a take. <laughs> it's going to come back into my brain. But I lost it on my little rant well, to do there. It, it, it made a shit ton of money. You said movie, but that's oh, shit. totally that's totally fine. Thank it you. is uh, a shit ton of movie. I think too. it should. I think it should make a. Sh- it made a shit ton of movie as well. Well, yes, uh, it, made, it has. It's very um, long. It's very long. <laughs> um, but what I well, I can't find it. Somebody talk. I'll interject. <laughs> I think the the main problem is kind of going back to how Marvel did things and you you have to compare the two. You have to. Uh but not only did Marvel start off with kind of a tertiary character or like a a a less famous character, they also took a chance on John Favreau who's obviously a very competent if not very good director. Uh but mm-hmm. didn't what he had he had, had made uh and he had done. He had directed a few. Well, Zathura and uh, yeah. he had yeah. done uh, Cowboys versus Elf. Aliens. Oh, and Elf. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but he was by far. Had he done Cowboys versus Aliens at that point? I don't know. He had about four movies, I think, under his belt by the yeah. time he does Iron Man, which may yeah, there may be a question as to whether they thought it would be this big. Um, mm. by starting it off this way, Robert Downey Jr. is your main character, John yeah. Favreau directing. And then they put in that Avenger stinger in there, but 
what I, they may have not expected it to be that good. No, and, and, but I mean, what they what they did have success with, and what DC has had success with, is hiring Kathy Yan and hiring James Gunn and hiring David Sandberg to do things that are not Snydery. And that's my point. That's what I just remembered was my point. Mm, would we? Mm. Would we even? It's not really fair to compare because I don't believe we would have gotten Shazam, Birds of Prey, um whatever the good ones are that we're getting today. <laughs> I'm not, right? I don't think, I think the only reason we got those was because there was so much failure beforehand yeah. and they were forced to take risks. They were forced to say, well, we haven't tried fun. Let's try fun. <laughs> we haven't tried Matt Reeves doing but uh, if you something go back, completely different. Yeah, You yeah. can't go back to 2008, 2012, whenever the fuck and, and say, well, if they'd made different characters into films, it would have made a difference to the cinematic universe because the thinking at DC back then was still dark, serious, muted colors. That's exactly why Snyder got the job. It's exactly why they gave Nolan executive producer from his trilogy to this new universe. They wanted what they already had. They got it and the public got tired of it. Mm -hmm. um, now they started taking risks and they're having success, but they would never have made the Suicide Squad the way James Gunn made it. 12 years ago. Oh, fuck Never. no. Fuck no. Absolutely not. It wouldn't have taken that risk. No, no, definitely not. I mean, I think they would have made something like Shazam. Uh, and was Birds of Prey R or was that PG-13? I believe it was R. Oh, yeah, that was R because, yeah, you had Ewan McGregor doing all kinds of like. Yeah, he shit. was. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty yeah. violent but, but, and uh, sweary. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the deal with Shazam is that it was family friendly. And it was a good story, and it was an origin type of thing uh, that did have direct parallels with Superman and stuff like that. I personally would love to have Superman hidden as he as he is in uh, Shazam, and then we go into his story into a Man of Steel type of thing or something like that later on, rather than here's Superman, the most powerful person in this universe oh and here's the other characters yeah i mean they just they needed a they needed the same kind of uh six-year plan or was it how long was it six years it was iron man came out in 2008 yeah and 12 was avengers right yeah so i guess they got that done in four years but they needed a plan where they came out with origin stories and and uh you know well-made origin stories to get you familiar with those characters and this the dceu were doing man of steel and then it's like batman v superman is their second thing yeah yeah we're just, just gonna we're gonna kind we're, of we're, we're, we're gonna have gonna... them tearing in each other because of the events of man of steel mm -hmm. and uh and yeah, I mean, and he then you start like throwing characters in just as as uh, as a you know Wonder Woman shows up in Batman v Superman, and mm -hmm. it's like, uh, can we not go ahead and get like kind of an introduction to these characters before they show up? Um, and look at Wonder Woman. In fact, in your uh, in your email, Jeremy, you mentioned that Wonder Woman should be thrown into that that good. DC. Uh, well, that's universe. the other point I wanted to make is that I think we, we we're exaggerating how bad the DCEU is. Like Man of Steel's not great, but it's not Batman v Superman bad. The first Wonder Woman's good. 
Second Wonder Woman's bad. Oh, it's so bad. But we talk about the DCEU as though they've only had one or two good movies, but especially at this point, that's just not the case anymore. It's it's the Snyder Snyder influence. And again, you know, the guy's a talented uh, filmmaker. He's got a lot of elan, apparently, (laughs) like in... And apparently, like ennui, he's, <laughs> he's, he's but his movies are the worst ones of the the whole batch. Patty Jenkins did a great job. James Wan did a great job with what he had, or he did a good job with Aquaman. Uh, and uh, you know, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, it, there's it ain't something ain't ain't working, and it's probably Zack Snyder. I'm just gonna whisper. Maybe, so I don't maybe. I'm, I'm gonna jump down a little bit. Uh, I like this a lot. Uh, best performance in a movie or TV show from a person more known from another medium, such as a musician, author, something else, etc. What do you think? Uh, Sean Combs in Get Him to the Greek. Uh, you uh, you know him as uh, Puff Daddy or P Diddy or what? Well, he went or under Diddy, a, or, yeah. a couple of other names, yeah. but uh, his his uh, character in Get Him to the Greek is hilarious. I don't know where uh, it came from. Like, I, I'm sure the guy is talented, and I'm sure he's funny. Like, mm-hmm. but he's hilarious. He's also in, he's also in the movie Made, by he the is? way. Made getting a second reference. Um, <laughs> it's a movie that more people should watch. It's a really good movie. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, and here's another person who may be known more as an actor these days, but Ice Cube. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I picked, uh, I picked uh, 21 Jump Street as my, as my Ice Cube, uh, but he's great in all other things like Boys in the Hood and Trespass. Um, uh, Friday. Yeah. Friday, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, definitely, you know, su- surprising. Like, because I think when you watched him in Boys in the Hood, you're like, ah, he's just playing himself or something like that. Mm. But uh, ever since then, he can show, he's shown that he can, he can play dramas like Anaconda, uh, yeah. he can, <laughs> like straight, dramas. straight, serious movie like Anaconda. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he could do, com- well, I mean, barbershop and fucking, uh, yeah, and barbershop. Friday, obviously mm-hmm. now, I don't think his performance in Friday is the best part of Friday. Best no, no, no. <laughs> he's he's there, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but Friday's an enjoyable movie. He's usually there to to be sort of a sounding board for yeah, the other yeah, comedians yeah, yeah. that are in there. But he can be funny himself. I love Twenty One Jump Street, man. He's like, you're gonna have to accept this or suck a dick. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the funniest part uh, is like infiltrate the school, find the dealer, and then like Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum are, are talking about something completely different. And he just looks at him for a second. He's like, infiltrate the school, find the dealer. (laughs) By the way, Channing Tatum turned out to be one of my favorite parts of Free Guy that I was not expecting. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, That whole sequence where he's magic miking as as they're all leaving mm-hmm. man that's fucking great mm-hmm. i love free guys, yeah. free guys fucking no, yeah. i loved it too i'm so glad you liked it <laughs> i did not read the question correctly especially the part where it said bad movies um <laughs> so two of my answers are now thrown out uh i'll give you one of the listed and i'll give you another one well hold on no no no, no 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 this doesn't say he, bad he movies. starts off he starts off by saying bad movies but i think the question is just in, in general somebody who's known for some something else is good in a, a movie, 
right? It does. It yeah. starts off by it starts off by saying that you think that it's going to be about that. Okay. So okay. so what I what I saw was best performance in a movie or TV show from a person more known from another medium. Right. He starts the whole question off though by saying, "I I see." Doesn't he? He says something to the effect. Not in this one, but it's it's very similar to to another one that. Oh, there's another question. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. another question. Yeah. Okay. Oh, which one? Which one? So this is not in a bad movie. This is just a. Oh, I was reading the wrong question. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. reading the wrong question. Okay. Phew. Oh, my God. All I did right. jump down um, a little bit. Yes. Then I'm going to go with Zendaya and Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew her as an actress in the Spider-Man movie, but um, I knew her more as a model. And um, I think she was a Disney kid. I think mm-hmm. she had done some singing on Disney shows. Yeah. Um, so, and that's powerhouse performance uh i suspect she's actually a 70 year old in a 20 something year old body because i you, you shouldn't be that good that young and again the other one that i've talked about to death is sydney flanagan from never rarely sometimes always ah, yes she's a canadian singer songwriter who had never acted before in her life and um, again somehow harnessed uh, raw pure emotion uh, in a way that only seasoned actors usually do. I thought I was going crazy answering the wrong question. Man. Did you ever see, Jeremy, did you ever see Malcolm and Marie? With um, No, not yet, and, uh... but it is on the list because um, she's great. And that's also the same guy, right? Same, the same director. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. Yep. That movie has stayed with me. I've only seen it once. Uh, and it's not. I mean, it's it's very much like Marriage Story in the fact that... Yeah, I was about not, to say, well, imagine watching those movies back to back. God! You'd either be just, hugging your spouse or, like, hugging just random people. On pillows. Pillows. <laughs> so, I know that you said uh, you weren't interested in the Marriage Story show. Not Marriage Story, the... the Scenes from a Marriage. Scenes from a Marriage yeah. show. Um, but I did read recently, apparently Oscar Isaac goes full frontal in that show. Really? And anecdotally, he did not realize, like he knew he was naked, but he thought that his stuff was going to be so in shadow because it was a dark scene. (laughs) And so he's watching on the playback later and he's like, oh, hey, there I am. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Like uh, the movie Wild Things has that frontal scene for Kevin Bacon in it. Oh, yeah. And uh, and uh, he didn't I think he didn't realize it either. And the movie came out and everything. And, and, you know, he sort of shrugged his shoulders. But also, if he had sued, he would be suing himself because he was a producer on the film. <laughs> awesome. You played yourself. Mm. Yep, exactly. You, you, you Congratulations. The only to defeat himself in court. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Your Honor! <laughs> Your Honor, this is wrong. Kevin You're Bacon, the producer, knew what he was doing when he published this movie. <laughs> I want to shout out Bo Burnham. Uh, now oh, you guys, nice. I think were were more familiar with Bone Burnham than I was um, as a YouTuber, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now his you, I don't know what his early YouTube stuff was, basically like kind of comedic vloggy. I don't, I don't even I, know. I knew him from a special that I saw, I and see. and I see. and there were people who were younger than me who brought up Bo Burnham to me, and I saw his first. I think Netflix special mm. where he does all this different stuff on stage and it's very unique. Uh, that's the only time I had ever seen him. So I was not familiar with any of the other stuff that he did before that. 
Yeah, I mean, but, but primarily known for a brand of stand-up comedy uh, mm-hmm. slash YouTube's. Uh, and so when I heard about that he was directing eighth grade, I was like, hmm, mm-hmm. all right. mm-hmm. you know, I don't know much about the guy. And it turns out that movie is that movie is spectacularly directed. You can mm-hmm. honestly say that, you know, from mm-hmm. the whole shot of of the, the girl going through to the pool party to the mm-hmm. pool, very much like book smart, right, where they go under the water and back up and all that stuff. It's it's a terrifically directed movie. And then he comes out. And he plays a very complicated character in Promising Young Woman. Yep. And you, and he disappears into that role. It does not look to me or seem like Bo Burnham in that role. It seems like a dude that's in medical school or that that uh, he's a doctor now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was in medical mm-hmm. school with uh, Carrie Mulligan's character. And he seems like that character. Uh, and he seems very endearing and finally breaks through to this character and then has one of the most gut wrenching scenes uh, I've seen in mm. a long time. That mm-hmm. entire film has is gut wrenching. Jeremy, did you ever see it? I know I keep asking you this Mm-mm. stuff, but uh, yeah, okay. Uh, mm. But uh, yeah, he's spectacular in just about everything. He does. And of course, that inside special uh, of him yep. doing music and directing and acting. Still haven't finished that. Oh my god, so good! Uh, I actually would love to watch it again. Uh, Wait, no. Did you ask if I'd seen Eighth Grade? Promising Young Woman. No. No, I actually started Promising Young Woman twice and could not get into it. Hmm. Another Uh, uh, Adam Brody scuzzball performance. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it came, I mean, usually on Saturdays, HBO has a new movie. It drops at 7 or 8 Mm o'clock. And I usually check every week to see what it's going to be to see if it's something like Freaky. Uh, When I saw it, it was Freaky. I was like, I knew I want to watch that one. And so Promising Young Woman was the one a couple weeks, a couple Saturdays ago. And I was like, all right. And it was just a little... It was a little slow for me in, in the early in the early going. I'll get back to it one day. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, your reaction is your reaction. But I thought I thought that movie started off very interestingly, uh, especially when Christopher Mintz Plus comes into the the, uh, mm-hmm. the proceedings. Anyway, uh, and then I want the last one. Uh, what do I want to go with? Jamila Jamil. I don't know if you guys have watched The Good Place. Um, I have not finished The Good Place, uh, but. I, I, I saw the first three seasons or so, and uh, and she plays Tahani, this wonderful uh, or this uh, this character in this afterlife universe. By the way, that could be an answer for the best, you know, yeah, life could. after death thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and I was surprised to know because she is so fucking good, especially playing off of Kristen Bell. Uh, she is so good in this that she, I don't think, had seriously acted before. She was a DJ. She was a model. Obviously, she's like six foot nine or something like that and gorgeous. Uh, she's also an activist now that has a prominent role in especially like weight shaming and body shaming and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, she apparently had not done any serious acting before that. And she's spectacular. That's a, that's a Michael Schur joint. Michael Schur is on fire Mm-hmm. Uh, ever since his, I guess uh, the office was one of his first. Well, yeah. And then I believe he was the chief creator of parks and recreation. Yeah. Of course he was also for a lot of you sports fans out there. He was a part of that. Uh, what was the um, fire Joe Morgan uh, website? I didn't know that. Was he really? He's, a, he's one of the writers on fire. Joe, Mo- Joe Morgan. No shit. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's got a good, good pedigree. And Michael mm-hmm. sure. 
he does. And he's, you know, he's, and if you want to know a visual, he, he was, uh, um, Dwight's cousin or whatever on the office. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's so good. (laughs) But, uh, we finally got to some discord questions. This was a whole episode dedicated to it. And I feel, I feel right. I feel right. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, keep going to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter, Discord, and SoundCloud. That's going to do it for this episode. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit CinemaSins.com. Uh, I just had a conversation with my wife where I told her she needed to give off more of a bitchy vibe. Because mm, mm, old mm. guys keep talking to her and telling their life stories to her, and mm. she's too she's too nice. Mm. Is this a, <laughs> the the neighbor? No, this is at the gym or the supermarket. I just said, you know, you're too nice. You need to yeah, yeah. get. You need to work on your bitch face. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Or work on your I have things to do face. Yeah, yeah. Or your uh, practice uh, uh, nut kicks. Yeah, mm. yeah. Exactly. I found I found if you kick a guy in the nuts, pretty much no matter who he is, he's going to stop talking at least for mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's a good that's a good PSA to get out there. I knew the light wasn't supposed to fall. <laughs> yeah, because... we, had a, we had a Birdman moment, Jeremy. Oh no, the light! I knew the light wasn't supposed to fall because. First off, it had nothing to do with anything. Right, exactly. And then he goes over and picks it up and gives it to the guy who is playing the confectionery guy or whatever. (laughs) And and they put it away and everything. And I was like, there's no fucking way that's on purpose because... That would have been a topic of conversation or would have factored in. Hey, remember when that light fell down over there? Right. <laughs> well, it sounds like they handled it really smoothly then. Oh, they did. Well, they uh, did, but they yeah. had to stop it because there was glass on the uh, stage. So there was a moment that I think when they realized people were going to start walking around, they were like, actors hold. We're going to get something done on the stage real quick and we'll be back. Uh, what's what's interesting to me is that that uh mm-hmm. at one point the girl falls the skating girl falls right around that location mm-hmm. you know what i mean when they pull her mm-hmm. and, and she fell right there I, f- I have a feeling that was probably the the real factor they were like mm-hmm. oh, we can't have mm-hmm. fucking shards of glass <laughs> when you said pauses remember when i uh warned that uh michael keaton robert johnny jr movie where mm-hmm. yeah Rob Downey Jr. is a critic and Michael Keaton is the playwright. Yeah, game six. So the actor in the play, I told you, had a brain like... um, Parasite. Parasite, yes. Mm -hmm. It was causing him to forget all his lines. And so there was this one specific line where they were supposed to say something like, "Um, this might be it. And he's supposed to say, this might be it. And in the actual performance, he can't remember the line. And there's like a 15 second pause. And then he finally <laughs> says it. And uh, later on, Robert Downey Jr. is praising the play. And he was like, that pause, 
That pause. <laughs> it was everything. It was everything. And it was all coincidental. <clears throat> In living in oblivion, there's one of my, my one of my favorite parts of that movie is uh, is this thing that you know Catherine Keener and and uh, the the woman playing the mother have that scene where basically Catherine Keener's talking about how her dad was awful to her and all that, and the mom's like, I have no memory of this whatsoever, is what she keeps saying. Yeah, and then uh, then it then it comes time to actually like film it or whatever. And, uh, and I actually, I think it's one of the many different things that happens. There's always something that happens during the filming of it that they keep on having to break. And, uh, and, uh, finally, like on the fourth or fifth time, uh, Catherine Keener goes through this whole thing and the woman's just like sitting there, like doesn't remember the line and you can see the people in the back and the, there's the, some crew who are like i have no memory of this line <laughs> <laughs> oh god that movie's so brilliant they've yeah, got that really well, earlier in that i think it was earlier in that no no, I think it's after that that she absolutely fucking kills that. Page. It's when they don't have the cameras on. They don't have the cameras on. So Buscemi has yeah. to do and that, and, and this is all. This is all the segment that Steve Buscemi's uh, dream uh, in it because he's dreaming that all of this is happening, and uh, and so like at the very end they they pull out the biggest knockout performance there is, and they don't even have the cameras rolling. And then finally they're like, he's like, do exactly what you just did on this last thing on, on camera. And then something else fucks it up. Like a, like a watch beeping or something like that. And they were like, they're like, Oh yeah. And then he starts, he starts yelling off, yelling at everybody about what they're doing wrong. And then they're like, and then what about you, Mabel? Oh yeah. Oh, the cameras are off now. I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> was it Chris Moneymaker that had that that thing in the World Series main event where they thought he was pausing to read somebody, but he was actually he didn't know the action was on him. Yeah, yeah, it had folded around to him, and uh, he and this other guy were just sort of staring each other down. And then uh, there, and uh, and someone goes, "You realize it's on you, right?" And he goes, "Oh no, man! I already, I thought I'd already folded." Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't Norman Chad, but it was somebody. It was like, "Look at the concentration." On the- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is even funnier because you know they do that after the fact. They right, do that exactly. <laughs> God, well, um, you probably did watch this. I I tried my hand when they. Uh, it was a few years ago when they tried to do it live, like on TV, the ESPN broadcast live. Mm-hmm. And it, like the whole cams weren't working all that great. And sometimes they'd see it. Sometimes they'd see one card and they mm-hmm. were trying to announce it live and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was miserable to watch as a casual mm-hmm. poker player. I'm sure yeah. it was probably fascinating for for like experience. Uh, I don't think anybody likes that. I don't think anybody likes it when you, when there's only one card. I mean, yeah, there, there's the idea of like, Oh, it's kind of cool. We get to, we can try to figure it out along with the other players. And it's like, not really. It's nope. not really that <laughs> just play regular poker. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've brought this up. The interesting thing about, uh, um, poker in the last year or so, the biggest story that came out of poker was, this guy on a live stream who was cheating and um uh somebody because the the stream is uh was it um what was the stream called 
it was some place in like California. It was like, uh, uh, whatever. But there was this one guy named Mike Possel who kept like winning and kept doing these amazing fucking folds and amazing, like, uh, you know, shoves all in when he doesn't have anything, but the other person doesn't have anything and all this. And it's like, and you know, the announcer's like, Oh my God, he's so amazing. What in the hell? And, uh, this one this one announcer veronica something was was uh you, you can they when i saw like every poker vlogger went over these pans that mike possible played um and uh she she was one of the original who was like oh yeah this is this is awesome how in the world is he doing that and then finally there was one play that just did not make sense at mm. all mm. and she on the stream you can see her go what the hell's happening what is oh, this wow. She's like, what, what the fuck? Like, and this other guy's like, oh my God, oh my God. And he's she's like, she's like, I, this doesn't make any sense. Huh. I don't get it. And so apparently she had gone to the, the, uh, powers that be. And they were like, oh, he's not cheating. He's not cheating. Somebody in the, in on it. Somebody was in on it because they kept, because what you see on all of these hands that are amazing is he keeps looking down at his crotch and he's got like his phone down there. And there were numerous like theories about why, how he was getting it, because you can tap that feed. If you, if you were a, you know, a scrupulous person, you can tap that feed into somebody's phone. If you wanted, if they knew the, the IP address. And, uh, uh and so like they were feeding him that. And so there were, they showed numerous, numerous hands where it was just like, you know, everybody who's an expert was just like, and yeah, and you, you can't deny that either. Even if you're not an expert, once they lay it out for you, like there's just no way that somebody can do this, but this all happened around the same time that you had the Astros cheating with their camera sc scandal and all that. And it was like, it was like, you know, you had a whole bunch of stuff going on all at once. If you had the, these kind of interests were like, man, there's, it's kind of easy to cheat in some of these things. So you the know? implication is that he had the stream going and he could hear what other people he could possibly he could see their whole card he because could see them i see yeah I see. um uh although i think now i'm trying to think if yeah i think it's i think that's what it was um because the uh, there was something about the graphics though i don't know maybe uh, it, it's either that he could see that or somebody was telling him what telling uh. him what they had and the and and those card readers the when they don't do the camera stuff anymore they do this uh, thing where the card has a chip in them and the really? chip tells tells the uh the broadcast what the card is and sometimes they mess up because certain cards get mixed in with others and whatever but uh yeah this guy did this for a long time and i remember even seeing shows before this came out i remember seeing shows where people poker vloggers were like man, this guy to my left mike possible he's fucking relentless i don't know what the hell i don't know how the hell to beat this guy um because yeah there's just there's just moments that you wouldn't play like this ever if you unless you knew what the cards were mm. um hey jeremy um, before we start did, did they outlaw tv watchers from calling in rules violations for golf or is that still um, going on they uh i think it's tournament by tournament basis um like the Ryder cup they it was specifically not allowed um, that because that was a thing for a second, right? Where like almost every tournament, there was somebody calling in. And I haven't seen that in a while. Perhaps they banned it across the board. I just know at Ryder Cup, uh, Harris English 
got had had his his putter grip inspected by rules officials because it was all raggedy because he it's probably like a 25 year old grip uh mm. falling apart and stringy and the article i read said we know it has to have been one of his competitors that turned him in because the tournament wasn't allowing fans to call rules violations in um so one of the european players had to have gone to a, a rules official and said i want you to check that putter um <clears throat> anyway i thought that was interesting What's fuck's he gonna do with this putter? Does he have stickum on there or something like that? Would that even help? No, no, and I don't think I don't think he had any penalty assessed. I think the yeah, that's not the point of the the whole thing. But I'm just saying, like, I don't even know what. I mean, it could simply have just been gamesmanship, right? Like, just try to throw him off his game with a little, you know, anxiety bomb or something. Where they, but you know, I think it's just the equipment has to be in. X amount of good shape is the rule. And if you can fuck with your opponent by getting his putter thrown out, why not? I don't know. Or at least it's not a fucking viewer. Because, yeah, you, you'd see, like, people with HD or 4K TVs that are like, yeah, Tiger's ball moved an inch when he moved that leaf. And well, and they've changed a lot of those rules recently, too. Like, if you're practice swinging on the tee and accidentally hit your ball, no penalty. Put your ball down. Oh, you... well, I'm going to apply that a lot then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you can even, like, because uh, Phil Mickelson um, was was basically groundskeeping around his ball at uh, the Champions Tour yeah, last yeah, weekend. Yeah, he just won, right? And the ball moved, but he wasn't assessed a penalty. So, uh, And especially on the green now, you can do anything you want to the, gr- the green. You can tamp it down with your putter to make spots flat. You can... Um, <clears throat> anyway. If they have sperm on it. They've relaxed a lot of those rules. I bet, I bet everybody loves listening to us talk about golf rules. Listen, listen. They do enjoy us talking about sperm on the greens. Mm-hmm. I think you're reaching, but okay. Look, mm-hmm. what happens sometimes it accidentally <laughs> comes out. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Somebody's got to putt through it. Back it up. Beep, mm-hmm. beep, yeah. beep. Yeah. <clears throat> Not when you get around to it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's from from dust till dawn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I will almost never recognize quotes from that movie. I always forget uh, if it's spelled T I L or T I L L. I think it's T I L L. It is T I L L. Yeah, he likes to do weird spellings, like Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, and that's that's incorrect, right? Till till with two L's is incorrect grammatically. Because there, right? Yeah, till is some other. Yeah, like, T I L L is. With the soil. Yeah. Yeah, T-I-L is the contraction of until. Yes. It is. And so, but till should never be used in, in a certain, <laughs> at all, in, in that sort of context. Ever. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, it's not anything anybody's going to really notice unless you're, you know, <laughs> an English major or something. But, or... Uh, but yeah, he did it. He did it with Inglorious Bastards. And then, you know, claimed it was because, you know, Brad Pitt character, Aldo Rain is illiterate. And I'm like, well, yeah, but <laughs> what is that? How does that add to anything? What is was that? that the reason? <laughs> I didn't even. I didn't, Something I didn't of that, that nature is the reason why Inglorious Bastards was misspelled. Um, it's almost like he misspelled it on his own. And somebody was like, that's wrong. And he's like, well, no, uh, that's. <laughs> 
Aldo Rain. It's like the why is the band aid on the back of Marcellus Wallace's neck? It's like, well, I don't know. And then somebody was like, I think it, I think the suitcase has his soul in it. And everybody, and he's like, oh, well, that's what it is. Well, it's covering up the scar where they took out his soul. Because that everything else about that movie suggests, God damn it. <laughs> Man, we go too far sometimes. We really do as film mm-hmm. fans. Like, mm-hmm. We make up these theories. Inception is the worst, but, but. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard the the suitcase has his soul. Like, why can't mm-hmm. we just accept that the he's playing with us, and it doesn't matter what's in the suitcase. Mm-hmm. It it's yeah. what it represents. God, I don't. Yeah, it's better that it's that it's a secret that it, that it's yes. something so valuable that we don't know what it is. And, yes. And, yes. Yeah, those, yeah, the, you don't want to know is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it makes more sense that it's a bunch of gold bricks, that it's a human being's soul. Give me a break. Have you seen a Tarantino movie? Has he ever, like, does he do souls? Is that what he does? <laughs> does no. Like, mystic shit. Does he do souls? <laughs> souls, it's not his thing, man. Well, and plus, everybody who opens it, is got has got an idea of what it is when they open and like it's it's not like you open up something and go oh my god is that what i think it is somebody stole yeah yeah <laughs> like hey that's that dude's soul that i don't even know right that's right that's right is that a soul my yeah. god it's been ages since i've seen it's one. been a while 